fasten your seatbelt. I'm taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. As if. You're going to ask me. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. And my natural response could be to get offended. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. I had to take a drink real quick because we're talking about the Rocketeer this time. I, I feel like it might be a marathon. Hmm. Hmm. I, I did explain to my wife, that she's like, how many movies you're recording tonight? I'm like, well, yeah, as pulling back the curtain, uh, we should try to record a couple of, couple of, couple of episodes at a time. She's like, so wait, you're, what, you're, which one are you starting with? It's like the, the Rocketeer. Hmm. You're not recording two tonight. <laughs> I, I'm going to try. Maybe. We'll see how it goes. Anyway, this is the 30-something movie podcast. This episode, who cares what the next episode's about? Um, this episode is about the Rocketeer. This is the first Rocket episode who? to Rocket. Who? Do, you not, do you not read the papers? What kind of paper? Papers. Papers. No paper. No ticket. No ticket. No ticket. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, uh, gentlemen, this is our first episode of 1991. Happy, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. New Year. Welcome to 91, boys and girls. We all made it past 2020. Welcome to the 90s, Mr. Bounce. <laughs> oh, oh, man. But we're not here for that tonight. Yeah, John. We'll, we'll get there. John, how excited are you for this, this conversation we're about to have? This is like my 1989 like, you know, when we started the podcast and you know, very early on and we were like, Pat, what are you excited about? Batman. <laughs> four years from now. Like, Pat, that's four years. From now. I know. Like when we were like early, early on, then when I finally figured out, I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. So he's excited about Batman. That's like two years after that's Rocketeer. So, you know, I got to get fired up for this. I got to start doing stuff now. And uh, my problem is, and I'm going to go ahead and, and throw this out here right now is I, we're very happy that you're here and, and excited that you're listening to this episode and that you're joining us, um, you know, on this, on this ride. Um, our episodes are usually about an hour and a half, you know, two hours. If we get a little wordy, um, I am going to really, really recommend that after you listen to listen to ours first, after you listen to our episode, if you want a deep dive and I'm talking like very, very deep dive into this movie, you need to go check out the Rocketeer minute. Because those guys go minute by minute. Like each of their episodes is one minute of the movie. And they talk about aviation. They talk about some, they interview some of the actors, some of the writers. Um, They've got Billy Campbell shows up on their show every once in a while. Um, I want to even say they finally got Joe Johnston to come on uh, after they had finished their podcast run. I think they had some, some uh, special episodes where they were finally able to get him to come on and talk about it. Um, 
yeah. So I, it's just an outstanding show. Like over the course of, I want to say like a year and a half, um, almost two years, they went through minute by minute and did this movie. And like, that's, that's the only way to truly do it justice. Cool. So you got to go check out, if you like this movie, you got to go check out that podcast after you listen to ours. So, uh, I have with me here tonight, I, a, uh, I was going to, as I list out each of your names, I was going to say, uh, what a euphonious appellation. So I've got with me tonight, Patrick Canigallo. Pat, how are you doing? Great, John. How are you doing? Excellent. Jeffrey Mazuka. Hello. Hello good there. to see you folks. It's good to see you too. Bo Warmbold. Yo. Yo. Bo is pulling the uh, Rocky Balboa over there. Mm-hmm. Yo. Hey. hey. All right. Yeah. So this one is, this one's the Rocketeer. Really excited about this one. Before we get going, uh, let me do our typical spiel. Just tell you that we do... Um, spoil the movies that we talk about and we just talk freely. So this is your only spoiler alert for the rest of the episode and really and truly go watch this movie before you listen to us talk about it. That's you need to watch this. If you have not watched this yet, go watch it and then come back and listen to our episode. Um, head on over to our website. If you want to find out more about our show, uh, three zero podcast.com. You can rate the show. You can leave a voicemail there. Uh, you can join us and become a co-executive producer via Patreon. Uh, we have several Patreon supporters now, and that just kind of helps us, you know, keep the lights on and, and just cover some of the costs of running the podcast. As we've said before, we just do this for fun. Um, there are some costs associated. So we're just we're really grateful that we have uh, some folks who have been willing to join us there and help us out a little bit each month um, by joining us over on Patreon. So if you want to find that, go on ahead over to our website and you can find links where you can become a co-executive producer of the show and join us there. Um, and uh, different, there's different tiers there. There's different benefits for it. And, um, so on occasion, you know, we'll have some of those folks here on the show and, uh, yeah, just thank you so much to all the people who have done that. Yeah, all right. That's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's, really it's, cool. it's, and it's been very cool to get to know some of the people that have, you know, donated that way or, or kind of, you know, helps helped us out a little bit that way. It's just been a lot of fun mm-hmm. and from all, all over the world too, you know, Ireland, the U S whales all over the place it's just it's just a cool thing yeah, i don't know it's really cool. cool well as we start off with each month uh we have this month in 91 and so we're going to hop in the delorean head back to january of 91 uh top news this time around january 17th operation desert storm begins with the u.s-led coalition forces bombing iraq during the gulf war January 22nd, and I remember watching this on the news as a kid. I remember this vividly. January 22nd, the Kuwaiti oil facilities are destroyed by Iraqi forces, and you had all of the images of the the burning oil fields. I very vividly remember seeing that on TV. Uh, Deaths in January of 91. January 28th, uh, Harold Red Grange, football's galloping ghost, dies of Parkinson's disease at age 87. And the top sports, January 3rd, Wayne Gretzky becomes the fastest and youngest player in the NHL history to score 700 goals uh, in the Los Angeles Kings 6-3 win over the New York Islanders. Uh, January 9th, baseball. 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 (laughs) I like baseball. Have you seen my baseball? (laughs) That's that's a different movie. Um, (laughs) A different movie, indeed. mm -hmm. Thanks for being... I, I have been very careful around zippers since watching that movie. 
Mm. <laughs> you know what? I appreciate that. Thank you. It's, you're welcome. Um, it, mm, that movie made me very self-conscious. Uh, baseball. Let's try that one. Baseball. It's baseball, baseball. Ray. Uh, baseball officially bans Pete Rose from being elected to the Hall of Fame for betting on baseball. Or or baseball. <laughs> if you bet on baseball, that's not good. And then uh, January 9th, Chicago's Michael Jordan scores a game-high 40 points to lead the Bulls to a 107-99 win over Philadelphia at the Spectrum, uh, and he reaches the 15,000-point mark of his career. It's crazy. Hmm. So what have you done with your life lately? You're right. Uh, top books, The Plains of Passage by Gene M. All and The Secret Pilgrim by John Le Carre. Top movie was Home Alone. I think Home Alone was still... Like, I think it went from December. I want to say it, it went like two or three months that it was the top movie for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the top songs in January of 1991 were Justify My Love by Madonna, Love Will Never Do Without You by Janet Jackson, and The First Time by Surface. Hmm. Uh, do we, before we jump into the movie here, do we have any news that we want to share? I saw a little blurb about... Um Okay, so really pulling back the curtain. Well, here, let me, let me, I'll, I'll jump into our, uh, we'll do our little stinger here and then we'll get into the news. Okay. Here is the news. All right. What did you see, Jeff? Um, Alfred Molina mm. is returning as Doc Ock. In Spider-Man, the next Spider-Man movie. I did also hear about that. Um, Jamie Foxx is going to return as Electro. And now it's rumored that uh, both Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire may be uh, making appearances as well. Along with um, Kirsten Dunst and Emma Stone. That's what I thought I heard that this was going to be kind of like a, almost like a spider verse kind of movie. Yeah. I, I don't know much. I haven't had much time to do it, to do any research into it other than that. But I saw that blurb fly by my, uh, on, on some news sites earlier today. Yeah. So that's all I got. Interesting. I think that's all I got. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking up to see real quick if it was any, um, yeah, I think it's, um, Oh, did they say that it might have like Dr. Strange might show up in it? Well, because the the next Dr. Strange movie is Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness. So I think they're, I think they're, trying to deal with the fact that a lot of their big name actors that they had for, you know, phases one through, what was it? Phase one through three um, are no longer going to play those parts. So my guess is they're going to use this multiverse thing to, you know, open it up and maybe do what they did in the comics and have like a younger Iron Man played by somebody else or, you know, that kind of stuff. So I wonder if that's how they're kind of tying things in together. Mm-hmm. Well, that'll be cool. I'd be curious to see. The end of the Spider Verse was the. I mean, that was that was good. Did you guys see that one? That was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the kids love that one. We watched that all together. Yeah. 
Nice. Cool. Um, this is a little bit of old news by now, but, um, because it, it being, you know, 91 or 2021, whatever you want to call it. Um, wonder woman, 1984 will have come out in theaters by the time this episode comes out. Um, how do you feel there, there's, there's some folks that are kind of on different sides of the whole, you know, Warner media putting out all their movies on uh, HBO max. And I know, um, was it Christopher Nolan? I think was quoted several weeks ago saying that's, that's the worst idea that has ever been thrown out there. Like HBO max is the worst. Warner is the worst. Like he went on this whole tirade about how it's the worst idea ever. They're killing movie theaters. I don't know. You guys have any thoughts about that? I'm reading his quote right now. So give me a second. Yeah. I don't want movies to, I don't want movie theaters to die, but I just don't see like you, you can't go right now. And I don't see how else some of these other studios and things like that are going to keep going themselves if they can't put their movies out. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't know anything about the movie business. I don't hardly know anything about movies and all that kind of stuff, but what's the alternative? Right. Do you delay the movies for another year? Right. Well, that, that's the thing. Like if, if we want movies five years down the line, 10 years down the line, one year down the line, like there needs to be some sort of revenue coming back in, into the studios. And where do you get the biggest payday, the, the biggest payday from selling and working and negotiating a deal with streaming services for right now, at least. Mm-hmm. So it makes, I, I get why they're doing it. I just hope uh, it doesn't become the new norm to the point where, you know, movie theaters are going to be something that I'm telling my kids about that mm-hmm. they'll never be able to experience on their own. I, we were talking about this the other day and I, I have a thought that movie theaters, I think you're going to see a lot of movie theaters shuttered. I think they're going to close down. Um, I think it's going to become more like you'll have like the Alamo draft house. It'll be, it'll be more of a thing like that, you know, more like mm-hmm. a, a special event and not a, yeah, we could go do this like, once every couple of weeks, you know, it may, it may be more expensive than it used to be. I'm, I would imagine they will improve their theaters. You know, everybody will have all the fancy seats and the everything, which a lot of theaters started to do anyway, but I don't know. That's almost my thought is that it becomes more of a, more of a niche market rather than there's movie theaters everywhere. Mm-hmm. I don't know. As long as there's still movie theaters around, I I'm fine. I just, I don't want them to go away completely. Yeah. But we just, I mean, we consume so much of it. We consume so much of it on our phones and our TVs and our iPads and our other stuff that I don't think for the current generation, for the current generation, I don't think movies are as much of a thing to them as they are to us. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they're more, con- they're, I mean, not more concerned. I think they're more focused on, you know, their favorite YouTube video, their favorite TikTok, their favorite, you know, that kind of stuff. Cause you've got all these different platforms that'll do What was that one that was around for like a hot minute called, um, was it called like QB or something like that? They would do like the little seven minute stories. 
it, it was supposed to be kind of like this Netflix competitor and their, their TV shows were like, I want to say they were like 12 minutes each. Like it was real short form stuff. And it was around for maybe a few months, maybe it was longer than that, but I only knew about it for a few months. And now all of a sudden it's gone because it couldn't make enough money. But I don't know. I don't know if, if kids today, you know, entertainment wise, I don't know if, if kids are, are sitting there going, yeah, I want to go see a movie. You know, even if it wasn't a pandemic, is that what kids would choose to do for entertainment? I mean, for us, yeah, that was totally what I would choose to do. If you gave me a chance, if you said, hey, we can go do this or we can go do this or we can go see a movie. I'm like, yeah, I want to go see a movie. You're sounding like such an old man now. I know. Get off my lawn. I don't know. I think today, I think some, I don't know. I don't know. I, like I seem to talk to kids at school that are kind of like, I remember talking to kids. Oh yeah. We're going to go check out that movie or yeah, we're going to get mm-hmm. tickets or, you know, when the star Wars thing was coming, Oh, we got our tickets for this date. But I mean, I, I, that's not every kid. I mean, it was, uh, uh, you know, that maybe I was just keying into the kids that were talking about it, you know? And if you had a choice, if, if in the future your option was I can pay, you know, I can pay 16 bucks to go sit in a theater and watch it on a huge screen with huge speakers, or I've got a subscription to this thing. That's like 16 bucks a month. And I can watch them at home on my TV and pause it whenever I want and go do something else whenever I want and come back. And, you know, if they did that simultaneously, which is what they're talking about doing with like the Wonder Woman movie with uh, Matrix 4, with Dune, with some of those others. I don't know. I do. Do people start to choose the at home option because it gives them more freedom? Um, well. I mean, I would, I would ask you guys what you would choose, but I think I know our answer is probably we'd choose to go see it in a movie theater. Yeah. I usually pick out the movies that I'm going to go see. Yeah. You know, like, what am I going to make a point to go see this year? Um, I don't see every movie in the theater. Um, you know, there's, I like to find when like classic movies are coming around and all that, I like to hit the drive-in a couple times for, you know, when they're playing stuff. I, um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's one of those that's a that's a real, you know, interesting point. I mean, like I said, I don't make movies. I don't know anything about movies. I, you know, and all that. So I I I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say, "Oh, well, Christopher Nolan doesn't know what he's talking about." Like, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously the guy's in the business. So uh and and then but on the flip side, I don't want to sit there and say, "Yeah, like how dare they put the movies out there for streaming and all that kind of stuff." I mean, you know, it's it's a business and like was the point that was made earlier. They got to, they got to make money to keep going. So I, I don't know like what's, you know, what's, what's the alternative, Yeah. you know, cause we're talking about people being employed and lives and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we all get to sit and discuss it from the standpoint of nostalgia slash efficiency slash bang for your buck slash experience. But I mean, you know, there's real people working real jobs that have to support real families. So I, I don't want this to become the 30 something current events politics podcast, but it's kind of like, I don't know. I mean, can't we just sit down and figure out a system that just gets us through? You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's, you know, at some point there's going to be an end game for this. Some people's minds that. <laughs> that that end game is already upon us, you know, but I mean, I, you know, we'll get through this and 
Well, and I, and I worry about the, I worry about the actors who are not the, you know, Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, Tom Hanks of the world. And there's a ton of actors out there who are not, you know, they, they don't have work right now. There's very few options for actors to be able to do TV, do movies, you know, it already. And not that I've ever, I'm saying this as if I've ever tried to do it. Not that I've ever tried to, you know, audition for anything or be in a movie or be in TV, but everything I know about it is it's not an easy business to get into. And so right now when your options are limited, that's what I, I kind of feel bad for and feel you know a little worried for is you've got the actors who, yeah, they've made their multiple millions of dollars and you know, they can, they can give back and they can live a little comfortably right now, probably. And, and all those guys, and they can probably bide their time until things get back to normal. But you got a lot of people who are not able to do that. So I don't know, to me, it seems a little, and not that I want to, you know, call out the guy personally, but it seems a little pretentious for Christopher Nolan to be like, well, this is a horrible decision. It's going to ruin the whole movie. I'm like, dude, people got to eat. So, you know what, if people really want, uh, there you go. Then if people really want movie theaters, when this whole thing gets over and done with, they will demand movie theaters back. Like they'll go back to the movie theaters if that's what people want. And if they don't, then maybe you got to change with the times. Yeah, that's the funny thing is I keep hearing about people that are like going stir crazy because I'm stuck inside my house. Oh, and what, what do you when this whole thing lets up, you think they're just going to go, oh, I'm so stir crazy. I'm stuck inside my house and I'm now going to watch the movie in my house. They're all going to like find babysitters for the kids and get out just to get out of the house. So, I mean, I don't know. I think. man, I'm just. Put your head down and just keep moving forward. It's my opinion on the whole thing. Pat, the scariest part about that is you sounded like the mother from Carrie. (laughs) (laughs) They're all going to laugh at you. (laughs) (laughs) I got just a little scared there for a second. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys brought up great points. Like seriously about the whole people got to eat. We got to keep going forward. You know, the whole thing. So people's, you got to take care of people's people's is people's. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is the way. Is that what you said? No, I said, you said people's is people. So mm-hmm. I added the okay. Oh yeah. It's my favorite part of the line. People's is people's. Okay. Okay. He's, he's frogs singing. He's, his pigs he's, dancing. His people's. His potatoes. People's is people's. I'm not sure if we're still, uh, I got any more movie news issues. Uh, if you've got some, go for it. Well, it's not movie news, but, uh, you know, when we film this slash when this gets released, this is about a month old now, but when this gets released, but uh, Chuck Yeager uh, mm-hmm. passed on. Um, That's appropriate for this episode with the aviation. Yeah, and the episode, but yeah. uh, I, I just, what can you say? But, you know, uh, you know, just a, a wonderful, inspirational human being. And, and uh, I know the word hero gets kind of like uh, thrown around and, and stuff, but my gosh, the things that that guy's, had has done in his life. Um, not the least of which is his service during the war for our country. But I mean, just the things that he, he gave to, uh, aviation and experimental aviation, breaking the sound barrier, flying all sorts of airplanes. I mean, he, uh, yeah, he's, he's, they broke the mold with him. And so, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's huge. He he had quite a life. So anyways, Chuck Yeager passed on from when we f- recorded this just a couple of days ago. And um, maybe was it just one day ago? Was it just yesterday? I think it was just yesterday. I think it might have been just yesterday. Yeah. yeah. 
And I want to say that news hit quick. I, I was reading it, and uh, you know, and they said, yeah, it was like uh, Chuck Yeager passed away two hours ago. You know, and it was kind of like, whoa. Yeah, because I, I remember I texted you, and I was like, yeah. Pat, I don't know if you've seen this or not, because they had just mentioned it. It was breaking news on the on the evening news. And I was like, oh, man, I wonder if Pat knows about that. So I, I texted you about it, and I then I listened to the whole story. I was like, oh, that's, yeah, that was fast. It was only, you know, like two, three hours ago. Right. Yeah, I, um, so anyways, Chuck Yeager, great American, great pilot, you know. If you haven't read uh, his autobiography, it's it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. The other thing I was reading something up on him earlier, and the other thing that I thought was really cool was on the 65th anniversary of breaking the sound barrier, um, he co-piloted uh, in another plane, and yeah. he he did it again, and he was 89 years old. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing is, uh, I, I mean. I, I just would be thrilled to be around at 89, much less breaking the sound barrier. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing, <laughs> but I, I mean, yeah, he was, he was flying those jets and fighter jets and everything like that. And I mean, you, and you guys, I don't know, you know, it's in the movie, the right stuff, but you know, the kind of the story around that. I mean, that guy was, you know, they talk about having the right stuff. Like that's, I think that line came about like because of him, you know, but he was, uh, he was tough as all nails. You know, he broke the sound barrier with busted ribs. You guys know that part of the story, right? Mm -hmm. I had heard that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, he couldn't even, not that the, not that the uh, X one had an ejection seat or anything, but once he got settled in, he couldn't even pull himself out of the plane. Mm -hmm. They kind of got him in there and then he used a broom handle to pull the cockpit door shut and, um, or hatch shut. I mean, so, I mean, just, yeah, he was, uh, yeah, that's pretty awesome. If you haven't read his book, Jaeger, it's a great, great read. All right. Very nice. All right, well, let's go ahead and jump into our movie this time around. It is The Rocketeer. Uh, 21st of June, 1991, this one came out, rated PG, with a runtime of one hour, 48 minutes. Uh, director for this one was Joe Johnston, who also directed Captain America, The First Avenger, October Sky, and Jumanji. Uh, producers for this one are Charles Gordon, Lawrence Gordon, and Lloyd Levin. The Gordons produced Predator, Die Hard, and Field of Dreams. Levin produced Event Horizon ugh, mm. and Watchmen. Uh, I'm going to have nightmares leading up to whenever we see that one. I think that was like 97, maybe. Oh, I'm so looking forward to it. Okay. That, well, no, <laughs> I, I am not. I am not a big horror film fan, but that movie just oh, did I, it right, man. I, I enjoy that movie so much. That movie to me is like eating really spicy food. Mm -hmm. Like I really enjoy it. I know I'm going to pay for it, but I really enjoy it. Uh, but yes, he did. He produced uh, Event Horizon and Watchmen. Writers for this one, Dave Stevens, who wrote the original uh, Rocketeer comic, um, who passed away in 2008. Uh, and then Danny Bilson did the story and screenplay. Paul DeMio did the story and screenplay. He passed away in 2018. And William Deere uh, did the story. Stevens uh, worked in the art department for Raiders of the Lost Ark and Michael Jackson's Thriller. Um, I think he did some of the storyboards for that. Bilson and DeMio uh, worked on The Flash, the 1990 TV show and TV show called The Sentinel. And Deer um, also wrote on, I think he wrote and directed Harry and the Hendersons. Uh, cinematography was done by Hiro Narita, who also did Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, also a Joe Johnston movie. 
Music was done by James Horner, who did Braveheart, Legends of the Fall, and Aliens. Budget on this one was somewhere between 35 and 40 million. Box office was 46.7 million. Flick Metrics gives it a 65%. Those lying, lying, false, tricksy, flick metricsy people. Um, maves. And, lying maves. Yes. Uh, Cinema Score, who got it right, gives it an A minus. Starring Billy Campbell, uh, who, uh, Bill Campbell, apparently he was trying to be a little bit more sophisticated at this point in time. Uh, Billy Campbell played Cliff Secord. He was in Bram Stoker's Dracula, The 4400, and the TV series Cardinal. Jennifer Connelly played Jenny Blake. She was in Labyrinth, A Beautiful Mind, House of Sand and Fog, and A Lot of People's Dreams. Uh, Alan Arkin played PV. Thank you, Bo. Uh, he played PV. He was in Edward Scissorhands, Little Miss Sunshine, and Glengarry Glen Ross. Timothy Dalton played Neville Sinclair. He was in The Living Daylights. Uh, Flash Gordon and Doom Patrol. Paul Sorvino played Eddie Valentine. He was in Goodfellas, Nixon, and several episodes of Law & Order. Terry O'Quinn played Howard Hughes. He was in Lost and Young Guns. Ed Lauder, who died in 2013, played Fitch, uh, one of the intrepid G-Men. He was in Cujo and Death Wish 3. James Handy, the other intrepid G-Men, uh, played Wooly. He was in Arachnophobia and Jumanji. Robert Miranda played Spanish Johnny. He was in Midnight Run and Sister Act. John Polito, who died in 2016, played Bigelow. He was in The Big Lebowski and Miller's Crossing. What's the rumpus? Hmm. Um, Eddie Jones, who died in 2019, played Malcolm. He was in A League of Their Own, Seabiscuit, and Lois and Clark. Margot Martindale played Millie. She was in August Osage County and Walk Hard. Max Grodenchik played Wilmer. He was in Rising Sun and Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And Tiny Ron, who died in 2019, played Lothar. He was in Roadhouse and Ace Ventura. Where is the rocket? Where is the rocket? Uh, Cliff Secord, played by Bill Campbell, is a cocky stunt pilot in love with the beautiful actress Jenny Blake, played by Jennifer Connelly. When he discovers a jetpack uh, hidden in a biplane, Cliff straps on the rocket, dons a flashy helmet, and becomes the hood ornament known as the Rocketeer. But when Nazis want to use the rocket as a weapon, Cliff must use his alter ego to both protect Jenny from an evil actor, Timothy Dalton, and save the day in this period adventure based on the comic books by Dave Stevens. To some, it was the fulfillment of a dream. To others, it was an instrument of destruction. A creation that could change the course of history. It was stolen from my factory. Where's the package? This is the FBI! What do we tell the president? Tell me exactly why this merchandise is so important to the feds. It's a rocket. A rocket? Ow! What? What's the matter? I don't know. There's something under the seat. Oh, my. What are we doing here? What are you supposed to do? Is it a bomb or something? No. I wouldn't touch that if I were you. How do I look? Like a hood ornament. Stand clear. What was that? Are you trying to kill yourself? I like it. Uh-oh, we got company. You steer, I'll push. What? I want that rocket, Eddie. 
Not next week, not tomorrow. Now. Keep your eyes open for this dame. Jenny's in trouble. <gasps> They're working for a Nazi agent. With an army equipped with these, you could rule the world. Cliff! You touch one hair on her head, I swear out. <laughs> Shoot him! We've got the girl. The rocket will come to us. I love her, Peeve. Does she know that? She's gonna find out. Go get him, kid. All right. So I'm going to need like an hour to recover now. Um, let's just start off with this. How does this movie make you feel? It's excited. Entertained. Fulfilled just so fun john i want to hear you you've probably been waiting for eight years or five years or how six years to talk about how does it make you feel i like it (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is this is one of my favorites like if i if i didn't have if if star wars was not in the equation i think this one would probably be my answer every single time like what's your favorite movie probably this one like to me, this movie, and, and I've got my whole list of all the stuff we can talk about with this, but, um, to me, this movie ticks all the boxes. Like you, you look at the kind of stuff, the, the kind of stuff that when you look at something, you're like, this is what I love about Indiana Jones. This is what I love about star Wars. This is what I love about this movie. Like all those different ones that we love, this movie incorporates bits and pieces of that. So yeah, I, ever since I was a kid, I enjoyed this movie and then just because I feel like they, I don't know. I, I feel like they don't, I don't Disney doesn't seem to know what to do with this movie. I don't think. Um, and, and with the property, cause I feel like they could have done so much more with it. Um, and as we'll talk about, as we get into this here in just a little bit, you know, there was some unfortunate marketing. There was some unfortunate timing with when it was released compared to other movies that it was competing against and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I have always enjoyed this movie, saw this movie in the theater, um, vividly remember the trailer and seeing that on TV several times. Um, but yeah, no, just, just absolutely love this movie. Uh, we'll hear in a little bit too. We'll talk a little bit about the music of this one. This is probably one of my favorite, if, if not my, if not my favorite, uh, James Horner score. Um, and just, it was a couple of years ago, I think I got the two disc set. Uh, sometimes it was a little hard to find. We got the two disc set of the soundtrack. So it's the complete soundtrack. And just, I, I will put that thing on all the time and just listen to it nonstop. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I absolutely love this movie. And this is the one too, that, uh, we go, um, well, Jeff, you've been to, you've been to C2E2 a couple of times when I finally convinced my family to start, uh, dressing up in costumes, with me when we would go, uh, it was probably two or three years ago. Um, my wife went dressed as Jenny and I went dressed as the rocketeer. So we had our costumes and I spent a while like pulling together all the stuff that I needed. I, I got a jacket that looks just like you know his jacket in, uh, in the movie. Um, got the helmet. The only thing, the only thing that we kind of had to make because I didn't want to spend $500 on the actual replica jetpack was the jetpack. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we made, and, and I mean, it's, it's still sturdy. Like it, I've worn it to probably three different C2E2s over the course of three or four different years. 
And uh, it still holds up. It's basically all it is, is it's a couple of um, two liter Pepsi bottles, a bottle of scope. And uh, we strategically put those together and shaped them the right way. And, and then uh, added a couple of pieces, painted them. And uh, it's, it's pretty darn close to put it together with spit and bailing wire to use a line from the movie. And um, you know, it's, it's pretty close to the, the jet pack. So, so I have my costume ready to go whenever I need it, but no, I, I absolutely love this movie. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, that'll just about do it for all of us here at 30 something movie podcast. Yeah, that's Bye everybody. <laughs> Time for three questions. Mm-hmm. Three questions. There you go. Um, so let's just start off with this. We'll start off with the comic book origins. Uh, have you guys ever read the comics? Nope. I have. Have you? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to be, I'll be curious to, I'll be curious to find out how you feel about the comics because I have a, I have a very interesting relationship with the comics. I'm sure you have quite the relationship with anything to do with this movie. John, well, so that yeah. surprised me. So what do you, when did you first read the comics? Um, did you read the comics first and then see the movie or no, okay. no, no. Okay. It's only within probably within the last six or seven years. I found a collection of the comics at, at my library. Um, so I don't, I like, I have no idea if it was just the, the complete collection or just a portion. It was a hardbound graphic novel edition. So, um, so I was like, yeah, I'll check this out for sure because I really enjoy the Rocketeer. I was kind of underwhelmed by the comics. I thought the movie did a much better job presenting the character and portraying the heart of the character. Like the comics, whenever I read the comics, I'm like, so in the comics, the rocketeer is just kind of like a guy that does stuff. Okay. Like there was no real appeal to the character. Um, But again, I think the movie really gave, uh, gave the character some heart. Yeah, Cliff in the comics. I don't like Cliff in the comics. He's whiny and he's arrogant and yeah, he's not likable. Right to me, he wasn't likable at all. And and maybe that's maybe the problem is having seen the movie first. Like I have such a picture of what that character is supposed to be, where you know he's charming, a little rough around the edges, but he's charming. And in the comics, he's kind of he's kind of whiny. Um, he does some questionable stuff like when he's trying to trying to send somebody to the wrong address, you know, the blues brothers did it right. You send them to Wrigley field. If you want to give somebody the wrong address and 60 West Addison. Exactly. It's Wrigley field. Um, you know, if you're apparently, if you're the rocketeer in the comics, um, you send the guys to, um, is it the photographer? I think he gives them the address of the photographer who's been photographing, uh, Cliff's girlfriend, in various stages of undress. Um, but uh, he ends up giving him that address. And I don't remember if the guy just gets beat up or if he gets killed. Like I'm trying to remember that part, but either way, I mean, he does some, you know, Cliff does some kind of morally at best ambiguous stuff in the comics. And he's really not a likable character, but very much so in the movie, like a very, very charming, very likable, um, and then Betty, it's it's Betty because she's modeled after Betty Page in the comics. Um, it's very much more risque 
than the Disneyfied version of the character, Jenny. Um, you know, so there's, there's some bits and pieces there that would probably not fly in a, uh, in a Disney movie, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, the original comics, the idea of it, the art, uh, the story itself. Like I enjoy all those things in the original comics. I just don't like the characters. Like I don't like cliff and I don't like Betty. Yeah. They were all just very two dimensional, mm-hmm. not just cause they were drawings, right? but like just the character, they were just really flat. I didn't, I didn't care enough about the characters based on what I read in the comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, well, the later, I'm glad, I'm glad I saw the movie first because yeah. had I read the comic, I don't know that I would have gone to, to, to watch the Rocketeer. Mm-hmm. Right. It was a little bit like, um, when I saw fight club, like I read fight club, I watched fight club before reading the book. And I'm kind of glad that I did because as much as I like Chuck Palahniuk's books, like I've read most of his other books and I really like it. He's probably one of my other favorite authors. Um, I'm glad I saw fight club, the movie before I read the book, because I was a little underwhelmed by the book. Same kind of thing. Like the movie, I felt like filled out the characters much better. Just got a much better sense of the characters than I did when I read the actual book. Now the rock and tear comics that they've done recently in the last few years or so, I feel like they've kind of blended the movie character and the original comic book character. So he's much more likable. You know, it's, it's much more, it's much closer to the movie personality of Cliff Secord than the original Dave Stevens rock tear comics. So mm-hmm. I have enjoyed those a little bit more. Yeah. So I want to go through before we kind of talk about, and, and we can just kind of quickly go through some of the, the kind of major plot points uh, in the movie here in just a second. But a couple of things I did want to talk about were the making of this movie and that this movie was, they were trying to make this movie from, I want to say about 1984, 85 onward. Um, and they had been trying to kind of shop this out to different studios around about 85 and 86. So they were working on this thing pre Batman Um, you know, you would have had the Superman movies that would have come out at this point, but you weren't yet in the kind of like Batman, Dick Tracy, you know, that kind of, and obviously we were pretty far away from, uh, X-Men and some of the other comic book superhero movies that were going to come out. So this one was kind of in that, I don't know if you want to call it kind of that awkward time where people probably weren't too thrilled about trying to invest in a comic book movie. So it really didn't get much traction in the mid eighties. And it probably wasn't until Batman, Dick Tracy, that finally they were like, Oh, Hey, this comic book stuff, you know, seems to do pretty well for these summer blockbusters. Let's try one. So, um, you know, Joe Johnston is the perfect choice for this movie because uh, he's responsible for the designs. uh, Before we started recording, we were talking about the Mandalorian. Um, Joe Johnston is responsible for the design of Boba Fett as a character. Um, he was also responsible for the design of the iron giant. Um, he was on the design team for the Indiana Jones movies. So before he got into, before he started directing his own movies, um, he did a lot of production design. He did a lot of art design, I think. And, and, uh, you know, it kind of shows you look at this character and while it was Dave Stevens art, uh, you know, that really got things going, um, and created this character, you can tell when you look at the character of the Rocketeer and his jetpack and everything else, you can see a little bit of Boba Fett in there. 
Mm-hmm. And obviously a lot of these characters are based on kind of the old rocket man movies. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen any of those older ones, the commando Cody, um, or some of the other ones, radar men from the moon zombies of the stratosphere, King of the rocket men. Um, there were just a bunch kind of in the late forties, early fifties, all these movies where your hero was, you know, had some kind of a helmet and a, and a jet pack and a laser gun. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's like this whole series yeah, of movies. I, I know none of these. Supposedly. Now I've seen bits and pieces. I haven't seen all of them. Um, I've seen a little bit of commando Cody sky marshal of the universe. Um, the one, I think the one that some people tend to agree is the, is the better out of those is King of the rocket men from 1949. So if anybody's going to go take a look, that might be, that might be the best out of the group of them. That would be a good starting point. It'd be a good starting point. Yeah. Um, some other early on stuff before the movie actually got made. Uh, this one I thought was kind of interesting. Steven Spielberg was actually interested in directing this movie early on, but there were some complications in his work with Disney, uh, related to the creation of who framed Roger rabbit that interfered him with going any further with the rocketeer. So originally he was one of the thoughts for directing this movie and, and moving forward with the project. Interesting. Uh, Disney had Disney was mostly interested in kind of a list actors for Cliff in particular. And it was an interesting list of people that tried out for the part or that they looked at for the part. Um, Kevin Costner was one of them. Kurt Russell, Bill Paxton, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, Emilio Estevez. Um, And the two that I saw in particular that I think at different points in time were Disney's first choice were Johnny Depp or Tom Cruise. So would have been interesting. Yeah. That's a very different movie. It is a very different movie. Yeah. I'm trying to picture any of these guys that you just listed being able to portray the same sense of in over your head. Mm-hmm. The way that uh, Billy Campbell was able to portray that. I don't, I don't think they could. I, I just, I don't, I don't see them bringing the uh, innocence. Is, mm-hmm. that, is that what it is? Just a certain innocence to the character, a, a simpleness to the character. Yeah. I just, I, I don't see any of those guys bringing that same. It's like, if, it's like if Disney, it's like if Disney made Top Gun, you know, Maverick is not going to work in a Disney movie. Mm-hmm. But you need that kind of, you know, because they did. I mean, they softened a lot of the stuff. You know, Dave Stevens comic is not a comic for kids by any stretch. So you like, don't go get, you know, don't get the original Rocketeer comic for your kids um, because it's it's not necessarily a kid's comic. Um, so Disney, I mean, they they cleaned up quite a few things for the movie. And that was one that I thought they did well. That was, you know, Jeff, you and I talking about those comics. I, that was one of the things that kind of the innocence of Cliff's character and the, the charm and just his kind of his good natured way of doing things. Um, you know, that I think was part of the appeal, the kind of the innocent fun of the movie mm-hmm. that when I went to the comics, I was like, kind of feel like you, you tainted something. I like a little bit, but I, I know this is the original, but I don't know. I kind of, I liked yeah. it. I liked it the other way. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I agree. I thought Cliff Secord was, uh, 
I, I really liked his portrayal in the movie. I don't, and I agree. I would not like to read it in the comic book. You know, sometimes you get like, oh, it's darker, it's grittier. That'd be great. You know, I uh, with this, I, I think he was, he's just a good guy. You know, I mean, he's rough around the edges, like she said, but he's a good guy. You know, so yeah, it would be hard to see that, to see that altered. The comic is free on Kindle right now. Hmm. Oh, is it really? Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Kindle Unlimited. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, okay. It's five ninety nine. Less, less free. Kindle, uh, Comicsology. Okay. I'm pretty certain I have a copy. If anybody wants to see it, so I'll let you borrow it if you want to take a look at it. Not not I'm people who are, intrigued. Not people who are listening. Like I'm not going to mail it all across the world in the United States. But any of, any of the guys <laughs> here. Sorry, Patrick. <laughs> not sending You're it. Out. Not sending it to Ireland or or anywhere else. But. <laughs> I well, you know, I, I, if you really cared, you would. Well, I, I guess. Where in the world is the Rocketeer cop? I care. I um, care. <laughs> we did because uh, there's the new Carmen Sandiego cartoon that's on now, and it's it's actually really good. Um, we wanted to show Nora what old Carmen Sandiego looked like, so we pulled up some episodes of that on YouTube. Do it, Rockapella. <laughs> That's, it. That's it. Gosh. Well, let's get into the story itself a little bit. Uh, we'll just go kind of go, um, you know, bit by bit. I've kind of broken the movie up into three different parts. So um, the first part, and that's one of the things I enjoy about this movie is you don't have to wait for the action to start. Like you're already, you're in the test flight. I love how they open up the movie with the hangar doors opening, um, yeah. you know, to the title, the music. We'll talk about the music because that's a whole separate thing here in just a few minutes. Um, but this first part of the movie, I've kind of, this chunk of the movie, I go from the very beginning to when uh, Cliff has his date with Jenny. Um, and so you you get the GB, you know, you get the sense, you, you see that he's a pilot that they've got this great plane that they're going to be taking to the nationals. And, and then just all of a sudden you've got the car chase between the FBI and the gangsters and the shootout. Um, you've got, they, they hide the rocket, the rocket, um, and replace it with a vacuum cleaner. And, you know, thanks to their diligence, this vacuum cleaner is not going to hurt anybody. Um, <laughs> you know, you, I love that scene. Um, and the funny thing is the, the vacuum cleaner actually looks a little bit closer to what the original Rocketeer rocket looks like in the comics. Yeah. Um, in the comics, it's a single engine. It's actually usually colored like purple and pink. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. it's a single engine rocket. It's not the, it's not kind of the two, I don't know what do you call those. I keep wanting to say I keep wanting to say nacelles, but that's Star Trek. <laughs> Whatever it is, the 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 dual rocket uh, design that they did for the movie. Um, but yeah, so they they end up hiding it in the car, um, or they end up hiding it in the plane. The other one is the vacuum cleaner in the car that explodes. So they think they've got the they think they've gotten it destroyed. Um, then you get introduced very quickly to Neville Sinclair, and you don't even get to see him before you already know he's the villain. Mm -hmm. Like you get you, there's nothing that, you know, there's no surprises there. Like, you know, you know, I I feel like it's kind of like a star Wars. It's, it's kind of like some of those movies where it's Darth Vader walks in. There's no question. This is the bad guy. Mm -hmm. Like Neville Sinclair. No question. This is the bad guy. Yeah. And such a fun bad guy. Oh yeah. Like mustache twirling, but Mm -hmm. in all the right ways, like, 
suave and debonair mm-hmm. and just uh, done so well mm-hmm. by a very good actor. Yeah. I, I really thought, I thought the acting in this movie, they did a really great job of making those comic book characters, breathing some life into a comic book character. Right. I mean, yeah, in one sense, they were all kind of cardboard cutouts. This is the hero. This is the, you know, the, the smart engineer type. This is the FBI guy. This is the crime boss. I might not make an honest buck, but I'm 100 percent American. You know, right? I love that line. <laughs> he, uh, um, uh, Timothy Dalton being the, you know, the, the bad guy. I mean, they were all they all did such a great job at being who they were supposed to be. You knew exactly who they were, but it, it was like a breath of fresh air. It worked. It, w- it wasn't like the characters were flat. I mean, even down to, you know, the FBI guys like, uh, yeah, wise guy. What do you think about that? Huh? Yeah. All right. You know, and just the looks and the way that they deliver their line and some of the accents and all that kind of stuff. Your buddy's getting fit for a pine overcoat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love those lines. I, there, there have been several times. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want, I, I'm not going to make too many comments that are, that are work related and it's not directed at anybody who still works, you know, at the place that we work. There were a few times where something needed to be purchased and, you know, certain things were not being, uh, not being moved along to get some of that taken care of. And mm-hmm. uh, there would have been several times under my breath where I just would have said lousy nickel nurser. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just so much. I mean, they do. Joe Johnson knows how to do a, a 1930s, 1940s movie. Mm, oh, yeah. Like he gets everything about it right. I mean, you go if, if you anybody listening to this, if you've seen Captain America, the first Avenger and, you know, that love that movie. I mean, mm-hmm. he just he knows how to do this time period. Mm hmm. You know, he gets it right with all the slang. He gets it right with the, you know how everything is supposed to look and feel and yeah. Right. Right. It's just fun to watch. It's just fun to watch them on stage. Yeah. Or on screen. Sorry, not on stage, but well, but like, it's funny that you say that because that's a great moment. Like that whole, where they're filming the movie on the stage in the movie, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like, Yes, you were watching them on stage. Like that was the beauty of all that. Is it was just done really well and John said it already, but it ticks all those boxes and it just The Laughing oh Bandit. My. Oh yeah. Prince with you tricked deeply. Okay, so you have to act, but don't act like you're acting. <laughs> right. I don't know. Casual. Yeah. <laughs> oh man I, 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 I flash back to I don't know seven, eight, nine thousand years ago whenever it was I was working on one of the plays at school I wasn't quite the director yet um, but I was still involved and I just remember the director at the time just going up to the student just being like act, act, you need to act and I was like oh good lord <laughs> <laughs> do, do you mean that's a problem <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna use that in band from now on just play your instruments just, just play. <laughs> play play it 
Can can we go back about planes in the opening scene for a couple hours? Yeah, do it. <laughs> oh, how beautiful that was! And and I know we're gonna kind of talk about the music um, at some point, but I mean, boy, that theme is just so wonderful. I mean, it is just rich, and somehow it captures that idea of far off adventure. It's got a little bit of nostalgia wrapped up in it. It's got you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, it, it holds the idea of pilots and flying planes and, you know, aviation, you know, kind of there's a reverence there for it. And then they hit this chord. Um, and I can't sing more than one pitch at the same time, but I mean, you've got this beautiful <laughs> chord there and it's just such great music. And that's how it opens up. And it's just guys pushing a plane out, um, you know, and getting it all, fired up and and i'm i i mean i hate to say it i'm i'm a sucker for that you know when you're you know anytime you're doing that you know whether it's wheeling a plane out before it fires up wheeling a motorcycle out before it fires up you know pushing a race car out to a grid before it fires up like anytime you do that and the machine is just sitting there oh man and and i john i know that you're a fan of the gb so i'll let you uh talk about that but just a um beautiful looking plane and all the planes back then, you know, they, they had a bunch of them sitting on the runway and, and just cool looking machines. And, and just like you said, the way it opened and, and the, the doors opening up and at just a, just a great scene. I, I couldn't get past it. Like I watched it four or five times before I could like, you know, kept, and we're going to have to watch that again. Okay. <laughs> not yet. Nope. We're going to go back one more time. Oh, look at that. My finger slipped. Now we're back to zero. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like, uh, uh, just, a just a wonderful opening to the movie. You well, know? You, I'm, I'm going to play a little bit of the music here. Um, you, you jumped into it. So I think that's the perfect segue to, you know, we can, we can talk through a little bit of the plot and, and play a little bit, a little bit of the music along the way. But I mean, that's something that I think is very clear, just how much James Horner loves aviation. Like I know it was a plane crash that ended up, you know, ultimately killing him. Um, and he passed. So that was kind of, that was an interesting time because he, he passed in that. And I remember seeing the news about it. Um, it was the week after my dad had passed away. And so it was like right in that same time period. And so it was really, it was really kind of strange because I've always loved James Horner's music. Um, but I never kind of made any kind of connection, you know, I've, and I've talked before about how David Bowie was such a big part of our family uh, growing up and Robin Williams was always kind of a big thing growing up. And so when those two celebrities died, that was kind of a, you know, celebrity deaths don't usually tend to affect me too much, but those did um, James Horner. While I liked his music, I really, like really liked his music. Um, what was interesting was, I think it was because it was so close to when my dad passed that that one hit me kind of hard too. And I was like, at that point, I'm like, now I just, I want to go back and listen to like all of his music. Cause I love the star Trek two music. I love aliens, I Braveheart, legends of the fall, all this stuff. Um, Glory. Yeah. But I you mean, get, I mean, you, you get a sense that he, and, and I think he has said himself several times in, in interviews, how much he loves aviation. And obviously he himself was a pilot, um, there is, I was going to play the Rocketeer music, but let me see if I can pull this up real quick too. Um, I kind of went out and, and was looking to find some other James Horner music a little while back. 
and yeah, I should have it here. Um, I think this was a, maybe an unfinished CD of his unfinished album of his, and it was called Horner collage. And it was just kind of a series of music. And I wanted to, I wanted to find the ones that were, um, yeah, I wanted to find the ones that were, uh, he had done specifically like, uh, first in flight he had done, um, and I think there was a documentary or, but he has several different uh, pieces of music, conquest of the air, Kitty Hawk. Um, you know, but you, you just, you very much get the sense that he loved the idea of flying. Let me see if I can pull this up real quick. just, I mean, you, you get the, I'm not necessarily one of those that, uh, you know, understands music very well. I, I don't, I can't read music very well. Um, I can't play music at all, but I can't appreciate it. And when I listen to, you know, both his, his Rocketeer soundtrack and I listen to the, the songs on here that are the the ones related to the idea of flight, I just, you can so very vividly picture actually flying, whether it's in a plane or, you know, Superman style or something like that. But, um, yeah, just absolutely love it. So here, I'm gonna play a little bit of the main title of the Rocketeer, Pat, that you had mentioned as well. are just a brilliant response to the musical phrasing mm-hmm. and it, it it brings the um I, can't, I don't even know what word i'm trying to think of it it, it pat help me out what am i trying to say <laughs> well i don't 
it, like a weight to it, the gravitas of the situation. It, the, um, musically speaking, it, it it corrects the chord. Oh yeah, it it yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, it, it like it finishes the phrase. Now that note there, dun, right? Um, the chord comes in and just completes the phrase. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. It's it's, and boy, I'm kind of getting to the limit of my musical understanding too. But I mean, it's sort of like the melodic phrase is going along, and the chord is like completes it. The chord kind of finishes the, puts a cadence point on it, right? Mm-hmm. And you have a whole series of notes. You have a chord hitting, giving you the emotion. Whereas before you kind of just have a solitary melody kind of flowing along. The chord kind of gives it a context and, and ends it, uh, gives it kind of a cadence point. I don't know about anyone else, but I, I, I man, if you can listen to that and not, and, and not, uh, get a little, get a little teary eyed. I don't know. I, I don't know. Cause that, that, that melody right there. And it is just beautiful. It is. This is whenever I need to just concentrate and just put on some instrumental music. Whenever I just need to, I just need things to be a little calm and I need to concentrate on something. It, my, it, I think my playlist is called concentration, all capital letters. And it is mainly Joe is mainly James Horner music. And it's a lot of the, it's, it's some of the music from first in flight, you know, similar sound to this. It's mainly a lot of the rocketeer stuff. Um, but it's this, the, I mean, this theme in particular, like I could just play this theme on repeat over and over and over again. And it's very, you know, it does build up to the point where you get the, you know, it, it, it breaks into the, and it goes into the, like, you know, a faster paced, more adventurous stuff. Um, but it's very, it's just, it's very calming. Yeah, it's just it starts off very quiet. And and it, the one thing I will say about this entire soundtrack, and I know we've talked a little bit before about James Horner and, and we've talked about times where, you know, his music, he kind of reused his music, um, maybe even a little, little more so than just him, you know, influencing himself. There are things lifted from one movie to the next. And I, I know we've talked about that. And I think the consensus we came away with was so. Um. I think one of the things I really enjoy about this soundtrack and why it might be my favorite James Horner soundtrack is I can hear bits and pieces. Like in some of these tracks, I can hear Star Trek two in some of these tracks. I can hear a little bit of Braveheart or I can hear a little bit of legends of the fall, um, you know, things like that. But I don't know that I have ever heard another piece of James Horner music and I go, Oh, that's from the rocketeer. Like to me, this one kind of stands alone. I actually, no, I take that back in the collage uh, album that I found of some of his unfinished works. Um, the same one that those first in flight songs are on. And I, I was going to write it down. I was going to find it. And I, and I did not remember to do that. There is a part in one of the songs where it starts playing the, um, the little piano tune that is the theme, um, that's associated with Jenny, like the love theme. And I remember hearing that I was like, Rocketeer, Jenny. That's the only time I feel like I've heard any of the Rocketeer music get reused uh, in anything else that's James Horner. And so in that way, I kind of look at this as being like, this is maybe, at least in my mind, in my opinion, it's the most unique of the James Horner soundtracks. I hear your point. I, and I, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think there's a lot of really unique writing in there. The one thing that I pick up on that's that's like Wrath of Khan and maybe a little bit of Aliens, and it's just such a cool uh, little lick, is that 
you know i mean i it's it's um now in 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 wrath of khan and and uh, aliens it goes into that junk 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 you know as the tanker as the reliant is coming in or whatever but uh in this one they just put that in there to kind of heighten the tension mm-hmm. and I, I just think i i love that lie i love the way that 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 little phrase kind of turns around in there and it's funny you, you mentioned that that the music it it makes you think calming um because I, I can hear that but and it's funny because you know it's it's i think it's it it just speaks to the power of the theme is that you know everybody kind of it gives you all the feels and everyone can kind of have a unique experience. But like I said, and just when you played it there, it just, for me, for whatever reason, it just ties so much into that idea of the calm before the storm, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll repeat myself from what I said about five minutes ago, pushing the race cars out on the grid, mm-hmm. pushing the airplane out to the runway, back in the motorcycle out of the garage and gassing it up before you take off. You know, it's, it's, it's calming, but it's that like, you know, calming, you know, calm the nerves, steady the hand because, you know, there's about to be some really cool stuff happening. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's, it's it's like, it's, it's like flight itself. Like, you know, the, the getting up in the air is violent. The getting down from the air is a violent act. You know, it's, it's jarring, but once you're in the air, you know, of course there's some danger there, but it's, it's very much in the background. And, and, you know, once you're up there, it's just, you feel free. And yeah. you feel very lightweight. Yeah. Yeah. Let me see if I can get to I want to skip ahead a little bit to some of the in the same track. I want to see if I can get to the There we go. I'm not sure I can play this while I'm driving. I want to go. T- I want to go fly. <laughs> I want to go be in a plane right now. <sighs> the word I was looking for was resolution. Ah, mm. there we mm-hmm. go. Those chords resolved the musical phrase. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say earlier. Yeah. Well said. That's yeah. That's an awesome point, Jeff. And the, I mean those and those chords are just they're so rich. So rich, just and that I mean that part that piece you just played too is just oh yeah. so good. John, one of the one of the best things you've ever done for me was was lending me your copy of your your two disc copy of the soundtrack. 
Oh, you're welcome. Um, it's so much fun. There are times when I, uh, in the summer when I'm on my tractor cutting the grass and I'll just turn that on and I'll listen Mm. to that while I'm just like flying back and forth across the lawn. Good stuff, man. Yeah. That's, and I think, you know, you, you ever ask, you ever ask somebody like, what superpower would you want to have? Like my immediate response without hesitation is flight. Like if I could fly. So maybe that's one of the reasons I, I'm a Superman fan. I'm a Rocketeer fan. Like maybe that's part of it. Um, the other part of it too, talking about the characters and the reason why I like the character from the movie better than the character in the comic is I feel like the movie Rocketeer is closer in personality to the optimism of something like a Superman. So that may be part of it too. Why, why I didn't care as much for the comic book character, but I do for the movie character. Um, I did want to play this one too. I just, and and we talked about this before, but the fact that James Horner gets a chance to play so many different types of music in this movie. um, And I, I just love, I, I I cannot help but smile whenever this comes on. And I know I'm I'm skipping ahead just a a little bit here, but um, so he has the date with Jenny and that obviously does not go too well. Um, they do test out the rocket for the first time. I love how they cut down that statue and, and steal it and uh, realize they're going to need a helmet. Uh, <laughs> Lucky Lindy's flight school. Yep. <laughs> and you just see the statue shaking. It's like, oh, gonna, my God, that's hilarious. We're going to need a We're going to need a really good lawyer. I think we're going to need a helmet. Um, but when we get to the movie set like this, I, I every time this music comes on, I just I can't help but smile. I love that scene. <laughs> just the, the movie within the movie. I mean, you, you get to kind of see him in his element and you know, it's like the old Errol Flynn movies and it's just so much fun. Mm-hmm. In an homage to that, that style of writing from that move, those movies. Mm-hmm. What a great theme. And that's what this one does so well. I think that's part of the reason why it's such a fun movie is you get, I mean, you've, you've got the, you've got the nostalgia for the thirties and forties. Um, but you also give everybody a chance to, I mean, I I would think as an actor, it's, it's gotta be fun. So many TV shows always end up having like some kind of a film noir episode or they, I mean, Star Trek constantly was going back to like the forties, the thirties and forties. Um, so it's gotta be, you know, it's gotta be fun in some way for, you know, actors or whoever to do these period piece episodes because they're constantly doing it. And this movie gives you so many opportunities to throw that into one movie. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say the, uh, the South seas club, the, ba- the big band playing mm-hmm. I love big band music. I yep. love, I mean, I think that was my first love in music and I it's just great. And I think, are they playing it's uh begin the begin mm-hmm. or there is, is it begin the begin? It's begin uh, the begin. Yep. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Um, that it just, I got it for you.
And the song, uh, it's, the song itself, once you get to the singing, is uh, Melora Hardin, who played Jan on The Office. Okay. I was going to, I was going to say that I didn't really ever look up the band personnel. I'm just saying big man music puts Pat in his happy place. (laughs) And, you know, I know we were all joking about, you know, who's old and get off my lawn and all that, you know, before the show and everything, (laughs) but I don't know. I don't know what this is going to identify me as, but man, that just brings me back to being a kid and being back to be a slightly older kid brings me back to high school, brings me back to college. Like, Oh my God, I love big band music. And how could you not? But I mean, that's great. The other musical cue I want to bring out, and I remember that hitting me. Well, first of all, as a kid, I love big band music. So when that came in, I mean, it was like, this movie just keeps getting better and better. But when Neville Sinclair takes Jenny out on the um, dance floor, and she's like that scene where she says, well, the band's not playing. And he's like, I hear music. And Cliff is racing across town to save her. The music they're playing there is so intense. It is so like full of just, it is dripping with this intensity and um, uh, what, what do you kind of say? Um, suspense. What's that? What's that? It's, it's like the Alfred Hitchcock type poems, right? Is that, is that suspense? Mm-hmm. Is that the word I'm looking for? Yeah. No, Jeff, I'm, I'm looking for a word. Um, yeah, suspense works. Yeah. Okay. It's just, it's, it's, it's that, uh, it's so suspenseful when he walks out and you get this, dun, 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 you know, and it's just like, mm-hmm. oh my God, something's gonna, you know, and then all of a sudden they start dancing and the music is just so intense. And then they cut in with the big band music and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. it releases so much of that tension. But yeah, when he takes her out on the dance floor, I, I remember as a kid starting to get to the end of my seat, like, oh my God, what is going to happen next? And the music really just sets up that scene. I think I wonder, so, so well. I wonder if it's this one. There's one on the soundtrack called Cliff to the Club. I wonder if that's it. Yeah. Here. Little little Star Trek in there. <laughs> I was just going to say, you hear a little of that Rathacon in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right there, that line. And oh my gosh. And, and like I said, man, I. Oh. Yeah. There she is. <laughs> and not as dis- damaged <laughs> as we thought. He tasks me. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, that was such a great cue, and yeah. and and what's awesome is it's like it builds it up so much, it ratchets it up, and then all of a sudden the the band starts playing, and then it it gives you that release you need because otherwise you'd just be you're wound up ready to pop. I mean that yeah. that's like, you know, at that point when they play that musical cue, you know that you know Neville Sinclair is a real bad guy. <laughs> you know, I mean it's it's wow. Yeah awesome we did uh we skipped over a little bit the when he first puts on the rocketeer costume um and has to go rescue malcolm who's up in the plane doing the clown act for him and um and lothar the introduction to lothar and um man he's and the nora this is the first time that we watched it you know a, a few days ago and this is the first time nora made the comment she's like is that one of the guys from that dick tracy movie that i didn't want to finish 
<laughs> no, real similar, but no. She's like, he looks like one of those Dick Tracy guys with the weird faces. I said, nope, he does. I know, but nope, different guy. <laughs> um, one of the things I wanted to say about this movie in particular and, and jumping away from the music for just a second is one of the things I think gets overlooked in this movie is if you look back to the idea of the comic book movie and up to this point, we pretty much had Superman. We didn't have Batman. Well, as this movie was starting to get made um, and, and trying to get made, we didn't have Batman yet. Um, we didn't have Dick Tracy yet. And obviously it got made and came out after those. But one of the things I think might get overlooked about this movie is they always say that the, with the Superman movies, uh, what was the tagline for the original um, 78 Superman? You'll believe a man can fly. I think that was the, like the tagline yeah. on most of the posters. This one, what I think this one does so well is with the special effects and the, you know, the, the compositing of everything in it, you'll believe a man can fly erratically. Like a right. lot of, a lot of the Superman flight is very clean in this movie. He's flailing all over the place <laughs> and, and what it must've taken to get that to look, I mean, even now it holds up. Like when I watch it on my Blu-ray, the, the effects of that, they hold up nicely. Oh Yeah. Yeah, they did them right. That's for sure. Yeah. So I, I sometimes I think that kind of gets overlooked a little bit. Like, you know, people look at this and they're like, yeah, it was kind of a Disney flop and that's yeah, okay. And I, but I'm like the technical achievement of that, like for him to be able to fly the way he does and for it to look believable, um, you know, I think is, is nothing short of astounding. Now, obviously, you know, this is where you look at all the, the, the money that it grossed and what people say in the ratings and all that other kind of stuff that I'm always like, I just don't pay attention to, but it's funny because like, and I think John, you, and it sounds like Jeff and Bo, and we're all kind of in agreement. It's like, like my entire family loved this movie, mm -hmm. mom, dad, younger brother, younger sister. Like we all went out and saw it. And I mean, it's like, there's not one shred of, you know, if you bring up the rocketeer, someone going, Oh yeah, that old thing. Well, you know, I mean, it's like, it's just nothing but the the happy feels with this movie. So I don't know who all the people are that didn't like it, but they're jerks. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, I don't know who those folks are. And it's funny because that, that was, that goes against like everything that I know about like coming up and being raised and seeing movies with my family. And obviously the friends that I hang out with, um, you know, it, this, this movie is nothing but good. I mean, this is just a great film. I will tell you when, when I wear the Rocketeer costume at the comic book show, mm -hmm. the amount of people and, and up until now I have seen several and, and maybe they were there before. And I just, that's why I always want to do that costume. Cause I don't remember ever seeing anybody else wear that costume. And since I've done my costume, I've seen several other people there, um, you know, doing Rocketeers same year I did mine. And, and, and since then, so maybe I just run into them more. Um, but what I would do is I'd, I'd walk through the artists alley area to kind of take a look at the different artists and the ones who will, you know, you can commission sketches from them and things like that. And I tell you what, the first year when I did the Rocketeer costume and I walked through there, the amount of people who were just giddy at seeing a Rocketeer costume and, you know, for different artists, I, I'd kind of take a look and I'd be like, you know what? I've never really paid to do commissioned art before. Um, I don't know. It's, it's usually a little bit more expensive. And then I kind of got into my head. I was like, you know what? I've bought enough trinkets at these shows. I don't need more, you know, back to the future Rubik's cubes. I don't need more, you know, 
aliens playing cards. I, what else do I need? Like I've got a bunch of trinkets and other stuff I bought here. Um, I, Lord knows I don't need any more comic books. So what I started doing a few years ago was like, you know what? Why don't I pay that little bit extra? And I will, I'll commission sketches, but I'm going to do, you know, I'm just going to collect a certain kind. And so what I've done is I've done just Rocketeer. Like I'll go to the artists and I'll find artists that I either like or something that's just completely different. And I'd be curious to see what their style is. And I will tell you 100% of the time when I have gone up to an artist and I've talked to him and I've said, Hey, I really like your style. Like, that's really awesome. It's very different. And then I'll say, Hey, can you, you know, do you have enough room on your, on your schedule to do a sketch before the weekend's over? Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I, I still got some spots. And they say, what do you want? And the moment I say the rocketeer 100% of the artists, when I say the Rocketeer, their entire body lights up. <laughs> like, it's like I have just told them that Christmas is real and, mm -hmm. and that they're going to get to meet Santa in person. And it just, it, it's so funny to be able to see how excited people get there. I've had several that be like, nobody's ever asked me to draw that before. And I had, I had one guy one time that was like, you know what? Nobody's ever asked me to draw that before. I've always wanted to draw that. I never have. I've got like five people ahead of you. I'm going to do yours right now. He's like, you, you, you come back in like 30, 40 minutes. I'll be totally done. Like, That's I, cool. I'm like, no, 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 don't, don't like put mine ahead of somebody else. He's like, no, no, no. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm not going to be able to draw anything else until I do this. <laughs> like, okay. Like I, I didn't mean to jump the queue or anything, but no, people get so excited and it's, it's just so That's much awesome. fun to watch people's reactions when you talk about it. Yeah. It's just, it's such good stuff. Well, yes. the, the one musical piece that, um, you know, comes a little bit earlier in the movie, but we didn't quite talk about it yet is I wanted to jump to that real quick. And that one is, um, whether you want to call it the, the love theme or Jenny's theme. Uh, but I want to play that one real quick too. might be one of my favorite pieces of James Horner music. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure if I want to go that far, but that might be actually one of my favorite pieces of his music. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so we get the, um, <laughs> <laughs> and as we're watching that, we were watching this again. Uh, I think it was on my birthday uh, a few days ago. We were watching this again. And my wife, um, you know, we've watched this so many times now that uh, it gets to the point in the South Seas Club. And she's like, it's coming up to my favorite part. I'm like, your favorite part? 
I don't know what your favorite part is in the South Seas Club. It's when he grabs onto the ice turtle skull or the ice uh, snail sculpture and, and rides that for about, you know, three seconds. She's like, nope, I love that part. I love yeah. when, he, when he rockets onto the snail and it. I, all right, that's cool. <laughs> that's fun. It's just such a fun movie. Just such a fun movie. Well, then we kind of get towards the end of the movie and we, uh, you know, he ends up meeting Howard Hughes. He gets the um, he gets that documentary film from the Nazis. Uh, first Europe, then the world. And um, uh, Dave Stevens, I think, did the animation for it. Uh, Dave Stevens also was when we see the footage of the German test pilot that gets blown up in the trial run. That is actually Dave Stevens, the Rocketeer creator. Um, hmm. That uh, I think he was quoted as saying in an article somewhere that he felt like he just he had just enough acting skill to get blown up. <laughs> so that was his cameo that uh, that he chose to do in the movie. That's funny. But uh, love that scene with Howard Hughes. It's just so much fun. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love that he gets to punch the FBI guy again. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. And he escapes. He jumps onto the spruce goose. Yeah. Flies out the, you know. <laughs> it will fly. <laughs> yeah. can, we, can we just talk about that scene for a minute? Because yeah. there's a part of that scene that I just cringe. And that's Peavy. Mm-hmm. Peavy. Alan Arkin gives one of the poorest performances of PV in that scene. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. And that's when um, Cliff so, says, he's got my girl. Yeah. No. Oh, and, Cliff, no. Oh, God, Cliff, no. Yeah. And he says it in the most unconcerned way, surrounded by the most unconcerned people. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like a really awkward moment where nobody really gives a crap that Jenny's been uh, taken hostage. You know, every, it, every time that scene comes up, I'm like, Oh, he's going to that line. Oh God, Cliff. No. You know, if anybody would ever deem it worthy to be able to put oh, some, yeah. If anybody, if Disney ever deemed it worthy to put any special features onto any of the Blu-rays or DVDs that have come out, which they haven't, um, there would be a deleted scene or, or a behind the scenes thing of Joe Johnston walking up to him and be like, all right, so Alan, I want you to act, but don't act like you're acting. Right. <laughs> like, it's just, it's, it, it's just, it's so cringy for me to watch mm-hmm. that. Just like, oh God, Cliff, no. Yeah. And no response from anyone. Yeah. Well, like, their facial expressions don't even change to show concern. Right. I hear there's a cut scene where Jabba the Hutt, they add Jabba the Hutt in there over uh, him. And then Jabba the Hutt is the one talking and they got the angles right that it's a Disney special edition. They step maybe- on they step on the tail of the of the goose. <laughs> yeah. Jeff, going to your point, what do you think happened there? Do you think it was just one of those that like, you know. I have no idea who take, but they should have taken a third or it was just like, they got my girl. And do you think, do you think that should have been like an on the spot, like a dialogue rewrite? Like it's, it's either, I, I don't think it's a problem with the dialogue. It's definitely a problem with the delivery. Okay. And I mean, to me, and I mean, in my very limited very limited acting experience to me it feels as though like that was a moment that may have been just at the end of a long day of shooting mm-hmm. and just there's some exhaustion going on and just 
tired, but I mean, just, or, you know, just a, a poorly directed scene. Maybe it was a, a second director that did that scene. I don't know. But, you know, you've got to do something more to drive home that concern. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, you know, when Cliff says that they have Jenny and, you know, and the other guys don't respond. Okay, fine. But then when PB gives a response the way he does, you know, maybe you, you've got to coach the the other actors in that scene then to, you have to be involved in that. Yeah. It's, it's a very awkward, uncomfortable moment. Like I said, nobody else responds. They don't respond to Cliff. They don't respond to PV. And then it's just like awkward, aw- awkward crickets. Mm-hmm. And then the scene just goes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that, that's, that's probably the, the part about the movie that I, I dislike is that scene because of that moment. When you said most poorly acted moment, I knew exactly which one you were going to go to. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, Cliff. No. Oh God, Cliff. No. <laughs> and like, really like, can you encourage Alan Arkin to maybe show a little bit more concern? Like maybe mm-hmm. that's something you might want to try to do. Yeah. Or have him turn to the FBI guys and be like, you guys got to do something about this. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I, you know, I I hear what you're all saying. And, and I think all, I think all his other deliveries were pretty consistent with kind of who he was as a character, kind of that Mm -hmm. dry, nothing rattles him delivery, you know, Mm -hmm. Cliff, the rocket belongs to him. This is the guy we were supposed to give it back to Cliff. Come on. You know, like, and I, I don't know, like he's had so many good spots, but when Cliff says, well, you haven't been on a date since 1932 or whatever. And he just looks up and goes, Flora, mentions the girl's name and Flora just goes, Maxwell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that was one of the most like that. I, I don't know about you guys, but that was almost like the other end of the spectrum for me. You know, if the one line was really forced and not uh, that one, that whole scene where he's just like, you know, like, yeah, that was, <laughs> I thought that was, you know, a stronger scene for him. <laughs> Go, going yeah. back, actually going back to that line. I love the delivery of that line earlier in the movie. Like, what do you know about women? Peeve, you haven't had a date since 1932. Flora Maxwell. No point in dating anybody after her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, at least the hangers, at least the Howard Hughes scene uh, redeems itself because, you know, when he jumps on the plane and, and swings out uh, the little bit of um, aviation fiction there, that was the big, uh, they called it the spruce goose. You mm-hmm. know, everyone told Howard Hughes that couldn't fly, that it was too big. The design wasn't right. You know, it wasn't going to fly. It was going to crash. And that was like a big thing that, you know, he proved it. So when he said that, you know, it was a little wink and a nod, I think, you mm-hmm. know, to people that know a little bit of the that trivia and, and all that kind of stuff. So I thought that was a, I thought that was a cool addition. Yeah. I have a picture somewhere. I have to dig it up of my grandparents in the cockpit of a spruce goose. They were. That's awesome. Out West for some something. and ended up taking a picture in the cockpit. It was pretty cool. I remember being young and going, what in the hell? Yeah. <laughs> 
And then, of course, I got the whole story. But that's cool. It's out in Long Beach, or at least it was at a time, right? Is it? I feel like that's where they were. I mean, that and the Queen, the Queen Mary, right? Million years ago. Yeah, that's really cool. I'd love to see that picture sometime, Bo. I got to dig it up. My mom probably actually has it. Um, She's crazy. Like she's a picture nut. So I guarantee if I say, Hey, do you have that? She'll find it. Yeah. She's good for that stuff. Cool. Something to work on. Nice. So we get to, we're nearing the end of the movie now. So Cliff knows he's got to meet him at the uh, Griffith observatory. Um, Actually, let me back it up for a second. I do love the scene where Jenny kind of knows exactly what's going on um, at uh, she gets taken back to Neville Sinclair's house. And um, first of all, let's talk a little bit for just like half a second about the creepy closet that seems to have plenty of women's clothing just ready to put on mm-hmm. at any point in time. I, maybe that was something that the uh, the movie stars of the 1930s had just in case, you know, a, a lady friend came over for the evening. Maybe well, you've no, got to have something was- for the next morning. Neville Sinclair may have just been into some stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's also true. Mm-hmm. You don't know. Mm-hmm. Lothar's hanging out. Where is the rocket? Okay. Now what? <laughs> Here is my rocket. <laughs> hey there. Oh, man. It's, well, I think. Um, well, let's see. How about we got like an hour and a half before we got to that point? <laughs> yeah. I'm starting to get punchy. <laughs> <sighs> I think yes. uh, what I think was funny is that like he was sitting there quoting all the movie lines yeah. and she's just like, Oh, you said that to this, 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 this you know, uh, well, and you said that in 19, <laughs> you know, and that's why I love her character because she's not, she's like a princess Leia, you know, she's <laughs> not a damsel in distress. Like she can actually pretty much take care of herself mm-hmm. in this whole thing. Like she's not, she's not helpless. Um, yeah. And I love that when she smashes him over the head and, and then her line, I finally got to play a scene with Neville Sinclair. Yeah. <laughs> hey, when he discovers her in the radio room and again, just more wonderful mustache, mustache mm-hmm. twirling, a saboteur, a mm-hmm. spy, a fascist, all of the above, you know, yeah. um, when Lothar moves in to pull her out, he totally runs into uh, um, Timothy Dalton. Like he, he it, I mean, it's, it's like his, sh- I noticed that. Yeah. yeah. And, and honestly, Dalton doesn't, doesn't react. I mean, he like totally keeps it in like going, like he gets bumped and it's like right by the side of his face, but mm-hmm. he doesn't smirk. He doesn't break character. It's just, whoop, he gets kind of shoved to the side and, and the scene goes on, you know? So, I yeah. mean, Timothy Dalton did not react to that, but yeah, it was, he didn't even flinch. Yeah. And I'm just going to say Timothy Dalton. Wow. Was he and um, Alan Rickman ever in a movie together? Because I feel like those guys could. That might be like crossing the streams. That <laughs> was exactly my thought. Like, I just think those two guys would be pretty, pretty great together. I was trying to look it up. Uh, there's a picture of them standing next to each other going to somebody's funeral. Well, there you go. Uh, the funeral of actress Natasha Richard Richardson. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know if they were, ever, yeah, I don't know if they were in a movie together or not, but yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so we do, we get to the scene where they meet at the Griffith observatory. And I gotta say, this is the point in the movie where if up to this point, you haven't had fun in this movie, first of all, I, Oh God, no. Why have you not? Um, I don't know why you wouldn't have had fun up to this point in the movie, but friends, let me just, let me break this down for you here. The year is 1938. We have gangsters fighting Nazis and the FBI shows up and the FBI and the gangsters are fighting Nazis. And there's a guy with a jetpack and a gun ready to go fly up and grab his girlfriend from the Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else, if, if that doesn't get you excited about an action sequence, then I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know. Something has happened to you deep down so inside. This, and this, this, this is the thing where, wrong uh, with you. This is the scene where Katie started to, to, to question a lot of the merit of this movie. Oh, <laughs> overall, she really like, like I said, this was her first time seeing it when we watched it the other night. Mm-hmm. Overall, she really liked it. She thought it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But this was, the, I almost had more fun watching her watch this scene. <laughs> She's like, you know, she'd be like, wait, so the Nazis are there and the mob is there. Mm-hmm. And then you get the, um, the, you know, I may not make an honest buck, but I'm a hundred percent American line. <laughs> yep. So that, that's somewhat laughable. And then Sinclair calls out and the, all of a sudden a Nazi army shows up. So all of this is, is unfolding and Cage is like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. And then the Zeppelin flies over like, where did that come from? How did the Nazi Zeppelin end up right there at that time? Like, well, like just you just have to go with it. Well, if you point. Well, they talked about the Nazi Zeppelin doing its parade around the States earlier in the movie. Right. At the, the newsreel <laughs> in the movie. I know. I pointed out. Like, well, they talked about that. It was that it was in mm-hmm. uh, that it was in the country. You know what they say about Chekhov's gun? Right. You can't mention the gun and not use it. You mentioned the Zeppelin. The Zeppelin had to show up. Well, I like that. You know, I might not make an honest buck. And I, I, I'll tell you, I also like the scene where the FBI guys and the mob guys are in the gunfight. And they stop. And they kind of look at each other. <laughs> and they keep going again. I mean, that, that's yeah. That yeah. that was just that quick knowing look. It's kind of messed up, isn't it? Like nobody actually says it, but they go like, look at each other, like, huh? All right, cool. <laughs> No, I, Tomorrow, I love. I'm I, coming to get you. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I love that whole line. I, I wanted to pull up the whole thing uh, when he kind of, uh, you know, Cliff kind of turns it on him and he's like, you know, tell me where the money comes from. And uh, he's like, he starts to turn his guns on uh, the mobsters, start to turn their guns on Neville. He's like, come on, Eddie, I'm paying you well. Does it really matter where the money comes from? Matters to me. I may not make an honest buck, but I'm 100% American. I don't work for no two bit Nazi. Let the girl go. Yeah. I'm like, come <laughs> on, man. You know what? I think the best way to explain this to Katie is to just go and maybe go onto YouTube and find the clip of Jake and Elwood driving through the mall in Blues Brothers where he just goes, this place has everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, I, at that point in the movie, you're like, of course there's a Zeppelin because why wouldn't there be a why Zeppelin? Why wouldn't there be? Right. Yeah. <laughs> It's a comic book. I mean, that's the thing about right. the movie is that, of course, Paul Sorvino's character says that because he's the he's the gangster, mm-hmm. you know, the Italian gang or the uh, 
the, you know, the organized crime mafioso kind of gangster guy. And it's, it's, it's the, it's in one sense, it's the cardboard, it, not the cardboard cutout. It's the stock character, right? This he's the mob boss guy. All right. But I'm a hundred percent, you know, lay it into him boys like that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And, but the actors breathe such life into these, is it archetypal kind of characters, you know, the hero, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the bad guy, but you know, he's really, you know, he's not all bad. He's a bad guy, but he's not a bad guy, you know, like that kind of stuff. And I think that line helps just drive that home in a humorous way. Wasn't that from Wreck-It Ralph? That was Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah. Is when uh, Zangief just, was like, they were in their uh, bad guy. Just because, well, just because I mean, he's bad guy does not mean is bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I love, I love that scene. And then they, you know, they get onto the Zeppelin and, and that whole thing. And, you know, he, you know, you already know Neville Sinclair is a bad dude, but um, they got to drop some weight. So clearly you shoot the guy that's giving you a hard time and throw him out the window. Um, and uh, I, that's the part. So Jeff, you had the scene earlier, the one part that bothers me a little bit and not enough for it to ruin the movie for me or anything like that. But the one thing is when suddenly Neville Sinclair's accent completely changes. And now all of a sudden he's got Fozafazaland. And I'm like, okay, well, hold on now. You've kept up, even in stressful situations, even when you had been knocked over the head and knocked unconscious, in all these other situations, you have not slipped up and you've not had a German accent the entire time. But now that the Nazi army has shown up, if you just was, the, there was just something something in your diaphragm just relaxed and all of a sudden you now have a German accent on top of the British accent you already had. Okay. I'll roll with it. It's a little weird, but I'll roll with it. Well, wasn't he supposed to be a German? I don't see. I don't know. Like, is he actually German or was he a Hollywood actor that, you know, cause at that point in time you, you didn't have to be German to be a Nazi. I mean, there were, you know, actually it was, I, I think, um, was it Jack Kirby who drew the, uh, cover of Captain America where he punches Hitler. And at that point in time in the, whatever it was, the, the thirties, um, I forget when that cover was drawn, but we weren't quite, we weren't quite in the war yet. And so I know that he got several death threats. Actually, the story that I've read is um, some people showed up at his offices and they were like, hey, tell the guy that draws this Captain America thing that he needs to come down here to the lobby and we'll show him what real Nazis do to people like this. And so apparently <laughs> somebody told him about this and he starts rolling up his sleeves. He's like, all right, I'll be back in a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I always thought... I always thought that maybe he was just a Hollywood actor that had been turned by the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily that he was a German that somehow had infiltrated Hollywood. And I don't know. I mean, it doesn't really go that much into his backstory. It doesn't really matter all that much. So, but yeah, no, not anything that ruins the movie for me. Just, I always think it's a little weird. Gives you pause. It, it's a little pause, a little pause. Um, Zeppelin explodes. Cause obviously fire and hydrogen don't mix. Um, Lothar explodes with it. <laughs> and uh, I love that scene too, where he's stuck on the cable and they're running past him and just, he kind of like 
looks down and realizes what's about to happen. And uh, they leap off. Zeppelin crashes into the Hollywood land sign and, and officially makes it Hollywood. And then uh, you kind of very quickly just fade into the Orange Grove scene. And uh, you've got, you know, you got them commenting on what's happened. I, I love PV's line. He's reading the newspaper. He's like, fans were saddened when uh, Neville Sinclair uh, debris fell on his car and killed the actor. Ah, such a shame. It was a nice car. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's another line that he gives that I, I just, just, I think it nails what needs to be done there. Yeah. You know, that's a shame. It's a nice car. It's a nice car. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we end it with uh, every everything's uh, everything's coming up Millhouse for Cliff because uh, he gets a new plane, he gets the girl, uh, the kids are running around screaming Rocketeer to the rescue, and the music, you know, music raises, and that's the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. So, I love this movie. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna maybe go watch it. So much fun. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I, the, I think the last thing I'll say, and then we'll, we'll jump in and we'll do our three questions really fast, um, is I think the reason that this movie did not do well, um, and I don't know if, if you guys have ever looked at this or not, but I've heard this several different times is you look at the movies that came out either the week before the same week or two or three weeks after the Rocketeer and you see what kind of competition it was up against. And that explains, I think why this movie did not do better, um, coming out at a, around about the same time. You had Terminator 2 Judgment Day, you had Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, and you had City Slickers. Oh, City Slickers. I love that movie. (laughs) So, as much as we love The Rocketeer, I mean, I think that's what happened to it. I mean, I I think usually what I've heard is between Robin Hood and Terminator 2, that's probably what killed it. It got released right in between those two movies, you know, and those were just massive in the summer of 91. Yeah. So a little, little unfortunate timing for the Rocketeer. Yeah. I said they had plans for several other, I think they had plans for two more movies that they were going to work out, but it just didn't, it didn't make its money. Um, you know, Disney wasn't happy with, with the returns on it. So ended up getting scrapped. <laughs> the other thing I'd be, would think would be kind of cool is, uh, I guess, I don't know if it was at the time he passed away. Uh, Dave Stevens was actually working on a comic where the Rocketeer and Superman would team up. Like, cool. Oh man, that would have been fun. Yeah. All right. Do we have anything else we want to say about the Rocketeer? Go watch it. If you haven't. Yeah. I say, if you haven't seen it, you're crazy. Awesome movie. Go watch it. And, and please demand that somebody somewhere at some point in time, make have some kind of a DVD Blu-ray 4k release that actually has some extras on it. Mm-hmm. Like a director's commentary, actor's commentary behind oh. the scenes stuff. Yeah. I mean, I've had a copy of this movie for as long as I can remember, you know, different, different kinds of copies, VHS and otherwise, but they never have any extras on them. Mm-hmm. This is one of those where you want some extras. All right. Three questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. 
What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, three questions. Question number one, if a real Cirrus X3 rocket was created, would you try it? Yes. That was funny because I gave my response at exactly the same speed you did. <laughs> but then simultaneously around the table, when because sometimes I'll ask the three questions to, to Sharon and the kids. The, simultaneously, the response was no. I was like, well, <laughs> but wait a minute. But why? But why not? And, and then Sharon pointed out, you don't even do well on ladders. Like, why would anybody let you have a rocket pack? I'm like, but, but it, huh? Well, and of course, you realized she was right. <laughs> like, no, no, she's absolutely right. And I, I kind of had to clarify. I was like, okay, so what if I went and got some pilot training and then did it? She's like, no, I don't think that's a good idea either. Ladders in a rocket pack. That's like, that's like, you know, not being good at checkers and then saying, well, that means I can't be good at chess. You know, right. I mean, there's kind of a. Like, I'm not going to stand on the ladder to take off the first time. Go play that opening theme again. Yeah. And then answer the question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's just my advice. That's where I go with that one. Yeah, I had no hesitation to. I mean, sure, but. Yes. <laughs> okay. Who's going to say no to the rocket pack after listening to that? Nope. I mean. Nope. <laughs> my answer is yes. Here was the question she always came up with. Why do his legs never get burned? Like, I just, hey, Nazis and gangsters. It's it's fine. It's okay. Well, you see, he's out in the air. So that, you know, the, the, the aerosols disperse and okay. keeps everybody safe. And, you know. Oh, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> are you, are you, are you muting my microphone now, John? No, but it, it's 2021. Everything's okay now. Oh yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Happy new year. Happy New Year. Uh, Jeff, did you say what you were going to do? Uh, I'm not going to do it because okay. I, I'm i not a good flyer. <laughs> okay. I mean, and, and I don't like, I've never tried flying. That's not what I mean. What I mean is it took me a while to feel comfortable just riding in airplanes. Okay. So strapping a, a combustible okay. device back is not exactly going to make me feel better about hurling myself through the air. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, if there was no danger, then yeah, sure. If this was like a video game. <laughs> Maybe. I, yeah. I, I got first time I did uh, VR glasses. Mm -hmm. Um, the, my, uh, my friend Jim was showing me, was showing me how it all worked. And I went into an elevator and the doors opened up and it was like a two by four that I had to walk out on. Mm-hmm like the 150th floor of a building. Oh, 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 I was, I was, I had sweats. <laughs> I, my heart was racing. I couldn't do it. Really? I couldn't, I, I, I knew I was in the safety of, of a basement. Yeah. And like to step forward was, you know, just walked, step to the next floor tile. <laughs> but man, if that thing did not feel so real, that like I was just panicked. So yeah. yeah. So yeah. even even if it's in a video game, I still don't know if I'm gonna do it. Yeah. Okay. 
Fair enough. I got to try, try these VR glasses. Yeah. Oh, dude, they're awesome. Cool. Oh, he man. also put me in inside the movie trailer for it. that's a thing you can do with vr is like they have movie trailers that you can insert yourself into Mm -hmm. it's like pennywise is like right behind you if you turn around and look and he's just standing there and nope or he jumps up right in front oh there's a he took video of me while i was in the movie trailer yeah it's it's kind of funny (laughs) (laughs) i look forward to seeing that sometime anyway See now you got me, now you got me wishing they would make like a Rocketeer VR video game. I would I would buy a VR set if they made a game like that. I would spend all the monies. All right, question number two: If they were going to make another Rocketeer movie, what time period would you want it set in? Before we go to question two, Bo, mm-hmm. what was your answer? Oh hell no! <laughs> I'm sort of in line with Jeff on this man. Getting me yeah. in a plane is hard let alone strapping a unlicensed nuclear accelerant sorry wrong movie um, no i could not do that i'm not i don't know that i'm coordinated enough honestly to fly the thing even if i was to get up in the air like drink a lot yeah i mean there's alcohol so you're good there <laughs> there there would be a learning curve there yeah be a learning curve and see cliff you know, Cliff's a crack pilot. So, I mean, there's, there's the benefit there. I would rather pilot the Zeppelin, to be honest with you, that they mm. move slow enough to be at my pace. Okay. That's, that's more my deal. <laughs> Minus the hydrogen, of course, but you know, one problem at a time. Right. Now, now you've got me wanting to have Cliff say at some point in the movie to PV, right. That's bad. Okay. All right. Important safety tip. Thanks, Peeve. <laughs> I think it'd be perfect. <laughs> you? I remember we did this. Uh, it was the first, I think, when Museum of Science and Industry opened up the Omnimax Theater. You mm-hmm. guys remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, buddy. And and was that was Omnimax the was that their like brand name for it? Because everything else is IMAX, but I remember it was called Omnimax. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a different aspect. It's a whole thing. Okay, so it's, it's actually a technical thing. Okay, okay. Anyways, long story short, they had a thing on. It was like the wonders of flight in the. Mm-hmm. Yes. Am I? Did you guys go see that one? Oh, so good. Yeah. I think I did actually. Where you're, where okay. they had the, they must have had a camera strapped to the guy on a parachute. You smack into that net at the end. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> or and then there was the wing walker. Did you? Yes. Remember, and then the wing walker jumped off the plane, or there was something. But that was like I, I, don't, I still don't know. My grandparents took me, and we were front row for that thing. My grandparents were sitting there front row, and there's my grandparents just like, "Do you need to leave? Because this is really fun." And I'm just like, "Ah, you know." And I don't know how, I fell up out of my chair. Like I, I have no idea, but like the plane flipped or something, and I fell up. Like I flew up in my chair and I was like, and then I was on the ground and I was like, you know, like all messed up. And my grandpa like reached down and like picked me up. He's like, just stay in your chair. And I'm like flying all over your chair, boy. Gosh, that was, that was a movie and a half. Woo. That was crazy. That's the Omnimax question. They do film it with a fisheye lens. Okay. It is designed to more wrap around in a dome like screen as opposed to the flat IMAX screen we're used to. Right. Okay. 
Okay, well, that makes sense because I remember being up that I could not see where the dome stopped. Like right. so far in this thing. Well, which is maybe that's everybody. I don't know, but uh, yeah. <laughs> the wonders of flight, man. When that wing walker he fell off or jumped off or parachuted off, and the next oh. thing I was floating upwards in my chair and <laughs> on the ground, rolling around, and it was <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. Oh, man. All right. Question number two. If they were going to make another Rocketeer movie, what time period would you want it set in? I think this could be partially because of uh, when when we grew up. But for some reason, I'm thinking Cold War. Mm-hmm. Like I am thinking, you know, instead of the Germans, you have the Russians mm-hmm. and there's some sort of arms race. F spies the whole thing. Um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you land the rocketeer on the red October. I, I don't know. Yeah, that was my answer too. I was probably going to go, go cold war and, and I wasn't trying to like kingdom of the crystal skull it. Um, but you know, you'll replace your Nazis with your Russians and, um, right. yeah, I think that, well, and actually they, at one point in time had talked about doing a rocketeer sequel and they were going to, it was going to be a female lead in the movie. I think it was going to be called the rocketeers and it was going to be, it was, I think it was going to take place in the sixties. It was either fifties okay. or sixties. So that was one of their original ideas before they kind of scrapped that and went with the kids cartoon, um, that's set in modern day. Um, and that was Nora's response. Nora's response was modern day. Like she'd want to see it now. I think I'd go back in time just to, you know, about 20, about 20 years or so, mm-hmm. maybe in the roaring twenties. Okay. Put the rockets here in the roaring twenties. I mean, I, I, I like, he's perfect for the time period that mm-hmm. he's in. Yeah, for sure. And I think that to keep in that same spirit, I think the twenties would be a great, a great time period for him. Yeah. John missed the whole intent of this question. And he's like ancient Egypt. I just want him to see it blow away all the Pharaohs. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's not really okay. No, I was thinking like 20th century, not like going back in time. He's like, no, but he, like if he had the rocket pack and a gun, you could just be like, Hey Pharaoh, bam, 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 bam. I'm like, okay, no, this is my it's, boomstick. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's not yes. what I had in mind. Ah, we were all that age once. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pat, what about you? What do you got? Uh, I'm sorry. I was just thinking of the Rocketeer in, e- in Egypt. <laughs> right. I mean, that's definitely a thought. Let your mind sit on for a second. Yeah, he, fl- I, uh, he flies up and he knocks the nose off the Sphinx. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to say 1940s. I'm going to say 1940s. And <laughs> this is going to kind of... Uh, uh, lead into my answer with question number three. So I'll just say, I, I would, I guess I'd just like to see the next chapter. What does Cliff do? You know? Mm-hmm. And uh, there is, a, I'll have to see if I have the comic. Uh, there is a comic called, I think it was a four issue series called the Rocketeer at war. And it's a, it's, you know, Cliff has Cliff now kind of works for the U S government and he's a, you know, basically he's a soldier fighting overseas in world war two. And, uh, he ends up kind of like writing letters back and forth to, Je- uh, I keep wanting to say Jenny, uh, Betty in the comics. And, um, 
I want to say that she also ends up enlisting as a nurse or something like that. And uh, yeah, so there's a whole comic about him going off and fighting in World War II as the Rocketeer. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I could see that definitely getting made into a movie. Well, and I could I, personally, I mean, I could even I mean, I could even see something, you know, similar to what they do with Captain America, where maybe he starts out not as not being accepted in, but maybe he starts out like in a, you know, in a, in a uh, an air wing. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe he's. Well, I mean, if he started at the well, I don't I don't want to go too deep dive into the question. Bottom line is, I mean, he could be flying bombers on bomb runs. He could be flying fighters. He could be, you know, maybe he was one of the Americans that went over and enlisted in the battle of Britain, you know, in the British, in the Royal air force. I don't know. Like he could be doing something and then maybe some mission comes up and he gets drafted back in, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know. I just think that would be, I, I just would like to see, I would just like to see what happens to cliff Secord and Jenny and, just when he thought he was out, they pulled him back in. Mm-hmm. All right. Question number three. If you could have the Rocketeer team up with any other hero from the 1930s, 40s, who would it be? And I gave you a couple of examples here. Um, as my children did point out, Batman and Superman um, did originate in the 1930s. So you could include them as well. Um, but Dick Tracy, Green Hornet, The Shadow, The Phantom, Indiana Jones, Captain America, um, my wife's first response right away without hesitation was the shadow. You know, they used to, her family used to listen to the radio show all the time. So that was, that was her response was shadow. Uh, for this one, the one I always thought would be fun would be, uh, Indiana Jones, uh, or, or, yeah. Cap- or Captain America, either one, but I've seen a couple of artists. I've seen them do kind of a mashup of Indiana Jones, Rocketeer and Captain America all together in the same image. Those are always fun. Wait, say that again. Indiana Jones, Rocketeer, and Captain America. Could we get Alex Ross to com- commission that? Sure. And and anyone want to fund that for if us? We, if we pay him enough, we could. Yeah. That'd be an awesome print. It would be. I I've seen. I'll have to look it up. I I think if you Google it, there's a couple of artists that have put some images together where it's like the three of them fighting Nazis. Um. I'll have to go. I'll see if I can find it and then I'll, I'll send it to you guys. But yeah, it's good stuff. It's good. Nazi punching stuff. I'd like me some Nazi punching. <laughs> what about you guys? Who would you have him team up with? I, I agree with you. I think Indiana Jones, I think that would be really cool to see. Yeah. I think part of that is time period, but I have to agree. Like, I just feel like that would go really well. And they both hate Nazis. So. Mm-hmm. It, it all depends. What did he do during the war? I mean, kingdom of the crystal uh, skull said that he was in, he was doing something in the war. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I mean, that would be a reason that they could team up. The other thing would be with Captain America, because then, you know, maybe the Rocketeer is just part of Captain America's squad, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, mm-hmm. um, which would be an easy one as well. But he, he carries Cap into battle. Yeah. Drops him off. Yeah. I The one thing I could see in that is uh, if he teams up with Indy is that at some point Cliff gets injured. And so Indy has to put on the rocket pack. 
Oh dear. And and Cliff asks him the question. He's like, "Can you fly this thing? Fly? Yes. Yeah. Land? Land? No. No. <laughs> hmm. All right, Jeff. It's time. What's our mashup? I'm going with Sky Captain. Mm. Oh, nice. That's, I'm, I'm sorry, gentlemen. That's it. <laughs> podcast Jeff, is over. Jeff won the podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, that popped into my head within 30 seconds of reading the question. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like Sky Captain has the same... <sighs> Same sense, same level of pulp to it that the Rocketeer has. The same tone, same style. Eh, maybe a little bit more dramatic than the Rocketeer. But I, I feel like Sky Captain and the Rocketeer together, that'd be one hell of a story. Oh, yeah. What's the, what's the phrase when something has like the same kind of look and feel? That I'd, I've said it before about Sky Captain. Spiritual successor. I feel like Sky Captain is like the spiritual successor to Rocketeer hmm. in its look and its feel and just kind of the, just the fun you have in watching that movie. Hmm. All right, Bo, did we get yours? Ah, um, oh, you, yeah, you, you said India. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jones. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, gentlemen, um, believe it or not, we almost, we almost did the rocketeer and kept it under two hours. Almost only counts in hand grenades and horseshoes. That's true. Mm-hmm. Which, which I feel like the rocketeer could pick up, fly over the battle lines and drop on gangsters and Nazis. Totally. Yeah. And at the end, he dropped a bottle of champagne. <laughs> Where did they get the shit? There's no liquor stores at the front. Wish. <laughs> at least when I was there, there wasn't any. <laughs> It's symbolic. <laughs> uh huh. Oh man, this I gotta see. All right. Well, that's gonna do it for our Rocketeer episode. That's our first episode, nineteen ninety one, in the can, friends. Woohoo! Uh, if you want to know what's coming up in the rest of nineteen ninety one, I'll give you the I'll give you the first couple of months or so. Um, so our first couple of months here in 1991, we have got our, our Patreon exclusive episode. If you join us as a patron at any level on Patreon and become one of our co-executive producers, easy for me to say, uh, in January, you're going to get an episode of Clash of the Titans from 1981, uh, hitting its 40th anniversary. Um, and then this month, we've got obviously the Rocketeer, Double Impact, Backdraft, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, Go Ninja, Go Ninja, Go. Go Ninja, Go. Uh, in February, you're going to get the Patreon-exclusive Willy Wonka uh, hitting its 50th anniversary from 1971. And then you're also going to get um, you know the, the publicly available episodes, Our Father of the Bride, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, Regarding Henry, and The Addams Family. And then on into March, uh, our Patreon exclusive is um, we're going to uh, we're going to do kind of a condensed version of our sometimes we do like a a top five favorite something. Uh, We're going to condense this one just a little bit. And of the years 1990 to 1991, uh, your top three favorite songs. So that'll be our Patreon exclusive in the month of March. And then the movies that month will be Necessary Roughness, My Girl, Thelma and Louise, Fried Green Tomatoes and Soap Dish. Hmm. So that'll be the first portion of the year here in 1991. Thank you so much 
for being here with us. If you want to find out more about our show, go to 30podcast.com. And you can find out more about the show there. Join us on Patreon, uh, see past episodes, leave us voicemail, all that other good stuff. Um, but otherwise, thank you, Jeff, Bo, Pat. Awesome talking with you guys. Thank you. Thank you, John. John, is this what you wanted it to be? It is everything I wanted it to be. I, I got to spend a couple hours talking about the Rocketeer with my friends. It's awesome. We got to listen to some good James Horner music. I feel like we all came away a little bit closer. On that note. Yes. I love this movie. I'm so glad this, I'm so glad we got to this one. Pat, I, I, I'm sure I feel about the same way you felt with Batman. So yeah, we got here. Now I got to figure out what my next one is. I don't know. Maybe the, yeah. I, think, I don't know. This year's got some good ones, man. Yeah. That's the perk. Might be. Yeah, it might be the Jurassic Park. Yeah. Oh, we got we got plenty of good ones to get to. All right. Everybody, go watch some good movies. Go watch The Rocketeer. If you haven't watched it yet, you should have watched it before you listen to us. But uh, go watch The Rocketeer. Go watch some good movies. Be excellent to each other. And we'll see you back here next time.